Uh, whoa. I'm not used to this. <laughs> last week when Jer oh, we're going to play bouncing back and forth here. <laughs> All right, last week when Gerald asked me if I could be ready to speak today, I told him yes I would. And that was because uh, a couple of months ago, I came to the decision that it was time for me to fully re-engage with life and get on. And I told God that I would do whatever he had out there for me to do. Be careful volunteering with God. <laughs> Be sure you're ready because you will get more than you bargained for. <clears throat> but along with that uh, question, if I could be ready, somebody sent about two barrels full of butterflies and they all landed right here. <laughs> well, for the first few days of the week, I had a lot of trouble with them. I kept reading and looking for ways to try to get them pushed down out of the way and found a couple of hints that might help, but I woke Wednesday morning with a song on my heart. You are my all in all. All in all. Um, I'm going to have to read some of this. A couple of lines are, you are my strength when I am weak. And my knees have been knocking a little bit. Uh, you are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. And when I am dry, you fill my cup. You're my all in all. Reviewing those gave me the strength and the peace I needed to get through the week. Well, they all came, all the butterflies came back last night and this morning. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. <clears throat> How do you view God? What is your idea of who God is? We all have a different view of it a, a little bit individually. <clears throat> he may be the one to you who uh, is the tyrant or the dictator. That's just standing there looking over your shoulder and waiting on you to mess up and swat you on the head or whatever. I hope that is not the one you consider. Maybe he is the one who's a micromanager. You have to go to him with everything you do, uh, every choice you make. Uh, maybe he's the, the God to you that um, created the earth, put us here, and wound it up like a tight spring clock and went off and took a nap. I hope that's not the one. And maybe he's the guy that you just really cannot wrap your mind around the concept of God. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways to look at God and understand him, and we all have our own individual relationship. And that is the point I want to get to this morning. Relationship is what God is all about. <clears throat> God is looking for something and desiring a relationship with us that often gets overlooked. Excuse me. In the few weeks previous, before Christmas, leading up to Christmas, our Sunday school lessons were talking about God's love for us. Uh, sermons were about that, about God's love, how he sent Jesus to the earth to be our salvation, to take our place on the cross. So we hear a lot about God's love for us, that God is love, that 
he's looking for something that we often uh, reject or will not quite accept. So let's look a bit deeper into that, but uh, how do you understand his love for you? The place to begin, as always, is at the beginning. In Genesis and even chapter 1, we read where God created, created man in his image. In his likeness, he created man. So God created man, uh, Adam and Eve, <clears throat> put them in the garden, and he didn't just leave them there. He had a purpose. He had a desire. He was looking for a special relationship with these two. And it was perfect. And it was so good that God even came down in the cool of the evening and walked and talked with his children. They had fellowship. There was love between them. There was an intimate relationship developing. And I think God wants to get us back to that Garden of Eden uh, situation. But because God made man, man as part of the deal, he gave us choice. We can choose him or we can reject him. And the instrument of rejection is Satan. And along comes Satan and enters and brings in questions and sin. By one choice, sin entered the world. And everything fell apart. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. The relationship they had in the perfect situation with God was broken. They could no longer walk and talk with God. Sin and wickedness abounded for several generations. Some say like 1,400 years up to the, uh, coming up to the time of the flood. <clears throat> and apparently there were many millions of people by that time. The population really exploded. But wickedness was everywhere. And it hurt God's heart. He lost that fellowship with us. <clears throat> it hurt him so bad that one translation says he repented of making man. He was so sorry. It hurt him so bad. He decided to just wipe man off the earth. Now, that's a new thought this past week. It wasn't he was going to wipe out men and start over. He was going to end humanity. Wow. <clears throat> then over in Genesis 6, we read a line that gives me chills occasionally when I read it. <clears throat> right on the verge of God wiping the earth clean of humanity, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One righteous man out of all humanity. And God noticed. He took notice of that. He decided not to wipe everybody out. So Noah and his family were saved through the flood. We all know that story. And everything was pretty good for a short time. But it didn't last. Again, humanity fell into sin, and wickedness abounded, and it just grew more evil. Oh, I don't worship everything you can imagine. You, I don't know, if you ever watch the History Channel and you see some of those 
shows about the, the old civilizations and how they worshiped and the blood sacrifices they did until, you know, a few hundred years ago. I cannot imagine that. So we come up to Moses. Things are pretty bad, and God calls Moses, and he leads the children of Israel out of uh, bondage in Egypt <clears throat> across the Red Sea. They're on their way to the promised land, to the, the promise God made to Abraham. They're on their way, and they camp by a mountain, Mount Sinai. And from the mountain, God calls Moses up on the mountain to talk with him. So actually he makes a whole bunch of trips up and down that mountain. Uh, <clears throat> now he gets up there and God presents a covenant to be delivered through Moses. A new covenant between God and his chosen people. This, this group that he had picked out uh, sometime previous to that that they were going to be his chosen people. And we read in Exodus 19 that God said, You saw what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now that sounds like an offer you can't refuse. Israel was going to become a kingdom of priests to minister to all the rest of the population of earth, be the representatives between God and them. Well, you know they rejected it. Listen to how they put it. When Moses came down and delivered uh, all the message from God, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear. Now, I agree, you know, you know the top of the mountain and smoke and fire and rumbles and earthquakes and all that, it would be uh, scary. <clears throat> they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. They rejected the best offer of fellowship since the garden. They did not want to be that close. They were afraid of God. And sometimes we probably get that way too. But God is not a scary God to me. I got further without reading them than I thought I would. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Sin, it seems like sin makes you fearful of God. You don't want to be discovered, so you avoid God. And over and over throughout the Old Testament, God makes us a statement that becomes very popular, and we even hear it quite a bit today. <clears throat> God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Well, that's what we want to be. We want to be his church, his people. 
But when they rebelled and rejected God, they went away, or forget how the King James puts it, uh, they turned away and followed idol worship, basically. Idols. You know, we've got God up here on the mountain, and he's got all the smoke and the rumbles and all of that. You see Moses go up into the cloud, one trip up there, he went part way up, and then God called him to the top in the dark cloud. And he stayed up there 40 days and nights. Wow. He was in close contact with God. Uh, that's the time when he came down from the mountain that his face was glowing from the glory of God. But idols, idols are something you can hold in your hand. You can see them. God is still this rather abstract envisionment of who he is to you. The idols that you can carve or, or hammer out in gold, you can see them. And they were everywhere. Every, every group of people around had their own version of them, made up their own gods and idols. And sometimes I wonder why we do not have a picture of God. You ever thought about that? We have no portrait. No, really no picture of Jesus. You know, we've got all kinds of portraits been painted, but they're not the real thing. <clears throat> now, wait a minute. Uh, John, yes. didn't you have a video a while back that showed God holding court somewhere? Had a good shot of his face. Well, whatever happened to that? Well, we found out that was fake news. We deleted it. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, I'm convinced that if we had even a photograph, just an old dirty black and white, we would make an idol out of it. God says there will be no idols between us and him, before him. Sometimes I wonder if our modern day problem, I'm calling it, of accumulation of things, might somehow equate back to idol worship. I mean, we've got more things than we know what to do with. I remember as a kid, we didn't have but one choice of this, one choice of that, all that. And now we've got so many choices, what do you do? You just grab one and go with it and hope it works. Um, I just wonder if all of this stuff we accumulate it is kind of crowding in like the idols did. It just detracts us from God and relationship with God. Every time I try to get rid of some stuff, while I'm pushing one out the door, I think three come in the back door. It's, it won't go away. you can hold or look at does have a bit of a comforting thing about it. But boy, that is a poor trade-off for what God gives us in our hearts, in our fellowship in the church. 
heard a story years ago about a young man grew up in the 60s and 70s in the drug culture of the day, and he was saved out of that, uh, that situation. And boy, did he make a 180, he turned around and he went to God 100%. Sometime later, he encountered one of his old dope-smoking buddies on the street. They said their hellos and all. And the buddy was smoking a joint. He said, hey man, have, have a puff off of this. And the saving uh, young man said, why would I want to suck on that thing when I can have all of God? Yeah, that's what we're looking for. All of what God gives you. If you've ever had God use you in some ministry, some praying for the sick, you see healing, you see other things taking place. That is the biggest thrill you can ever experience, I believe, as a human. And that's a part of what God is looking for, for us to be intimately in relationship with Him so that that is the norm, not the unusual. <clears throat> Along the storyline, we now arrive at the time of Jesus. Jesus came and he did things rather unusual. He healed the sick and raised the dead and uh, met with uh, sinners, uh, what do they call them, tax collectors and sinners and, and all of that. And he did the unusual. But he talked about a different relationship with God than they'd ever had. See, under the Old Covenant, everything was by law. And Jesus came and talked about the kingdom of God and the covenant of grace. Boy, something's changing here. <clears throat> right here is where I have never settled my message. So, Lord, where are we going? When Jesus came and did all these things, and most of the people rebelled, <clears throat> sent him to the cross, or, or was about to, I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, there's a very special bit of scripture to me in the uh, Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. It takes place at the Last Supper, and John's account is very long. And Jesus is really unloading on the, uh, the apostles, getting them prepared for him going away. And near the end, he prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all those who would follow, that's us, and talks about how God is in him, he is in God, and he prays that we will be one as they are one. Us and God, it gets, I don't know what you call it, but, it, but it's unusual. But it's the relationship, the depth of the relationship that God is looking for with us of oneness. And it, always, it, it all happens in the spiritual realm, not the physical. But that is, I do believe, the heart of God. See, when, when he went to the cross, when he died, do you remember what happened in the temple? 
the big curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place ripped from top to bottom. An old way that was excluded from the people was open wide open to us. <clears throat> See, back then, when people sinned, they took a blood sacrifice to a priest and went through a process, a ritual. <clears throat> Later, the priest would gather up all of those sins and get with the high priest, and they would go through a ritual, and the high priest would take uh, blood with him when he went behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies. And there's where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the cherubim, and the, the, the mercy seat, where God would come to meet with the high priest and atone for the sins. See, back then, sins were never forgiven. The penalty for sin was only postponed to the next year. And it was not until Christ came that we had forgiveness available. But now that, that forgiveness covers past, present, and future sin. Once for all, Jesus died for us. When he opened that curtain, <clears throat> he opened the way past <coughs> whatever, into the holy of holies for all of us, into the very throne room of God. There's a, a, a chorus we sing sometimes, uh, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, I think, well, back up, that, that is a quote from Psalms 100, probably written by David, but it was written hundreds of years before Jesus. I think the song or the chorus needs another verse to it because they did not understand what was coming. They just had the bits and pieces from the prophets, the hints of what was coming, the relationship God was going to reestablish with us that approaches, can approach, what it was in the garden. When I enter his gates with thanksgiving in the heart, I enter his courts with praise. <clears throat> close with a, a little story that to me describes my vision of God. To me, God is kind of like my grandfather. I hope you have a relative, a, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, somebody that uh, when you were a kid that was a real special trip to go visit them. Uh, for this story, the, the close family in the home is, is not the deal. I mean, it's a Occasional time you go see them. My grandparents lived out in the country. It was a significant trip out to see them. <clears throat> you drive out there and you pull up to the yard fence. I all had a big yard fence back then. You get out and you go over to the gate. You go through. There's a little excitement building. I've entered his gates with Thanksgiving. You go up the path to the steps up onto the porch, and as I climb those, entering his courts. I will enter his courts with praise. Well, about the time I reach up to knock on the door, 
which was an old screen door, of course, back then. <clears throat> Remember those? I hear a voice from inside. It says, door's open. Come on in. The invitation into the home, into the throne room of God. We are invited there. I open the door, and I see my grandfather sitting in his rockers. He's got his arms open, got a smile on his face, practically run and jump in his lap. He wraps those big arms around me and hugs me and says, I am so glad you came. I've got something to tell you. And we have joy and fellowship. That's the best way I've found to describe what God is looking for from us. He wants a relationship that few of us can imagine.